0: Okay, John chapter 5. I better, I better stop here. <clears throat> John chapter 5. We're still in this ongoing narrative where Jesus is being confronted by the Pharisees. He heals the man at the pool of Bethesda. Um, and he tells him, take up your bed and walk. And it's the Sabbath. And the Pharisees are all upset because They say Jesus broke the Sabbath law by telling this guy to pick up his bed and walk. They're not praising God for the fact that the man was healed. They're upset that Jesus, so-called, and this man broke the rules. And so he's been presenting his testimony. The title of the message last week was The Testimony of Jesus, Part 1. This is The Testimony of Jesus, Part 2. And he really goes out of his way here to give them a fairly lengthy narrative to show them how that he is directly connected and interacting with Father God. And I'm sure it's not pleasing them one bit. We pick it up in the middle of this conversation, beginning in verse 31. If I bear witness of myself, says Jesus, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you because because whom he sent him you do not believe. In other words, me, Jesus. You search the scriptures for in them you think that you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. But you're not willing to come to me that you might have life. Let's pray. Father, we lift up this time in your word. Pray that you would guide us, direct us, speak to our hearts, give us insight and understanding into what Jesus is saying here and help us to apply it to our own lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Why does he say that? Anyone can promote their own actions and bear witness of what great things they have done. We call that a blowhard, right? And Jesus was no blowhard. A proper witness is an objective, unbiased third party whose account is reliable and true, getting hard to find in this day and age. But he says there's another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Of course, the witness Jesus speaks of here is the ultimate witness, the greatest witness, the unimpeachable witness. He's talking about his Father, his heavenly Father, Father God, another witness, who, another who bears witness of me. And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. He says in verse 33, you've sent to John, John the Baptist, not John the apostle or the disciple, but John the Baptist. You've sent to John, and he's borne witness to the truth. So we saw back in chapter 3 that the Pharisees are questioning John the Baptist about Jesus. They're trying to stir up enmity between them, if you remember. Wow, Jesus has more disciples than you now, John. Are you going to put up with that? But they're asking him. They're talking to him, and here's part of what John says to them. John 3, 36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the uh, the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Wow. John lays it right out there. That's John the Baptist's testimony. There's more to the testimony, but that's the, the heart of it. That John the Baptist testified before the Pharisees that Jesus, the Son... The Son of God has everlasting life. If you don't believe in the Son, you will not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. And as we've talked about so many times here, when John says, he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, he's speaking to men who are technically alive, right? They have biological, intellectual function. But over and over again, when we see the word life here in the New Testament, it's talking about spiritual life, eternal life, because that's what God is all about. God didn't create man to die. God created man to live forever, to have an everlasting love relationship with him as our Heavenly Father. Man is the one who brought the curse upon the human race through Adam and Eve. And so God's whole focus on life has to do with eternity. We need to get that through our thick skulls. Verse 34. Yet, says Jesus, I do not receive testimony from man, even though John gave a really great testimony about me. I do not receive testimony from man. At the end of the day... What any man thinks, or woman for that matter, obviously when we say man, we're talking about humanity, the human race, mankind, sorry for the gender dysphoria. (laughs) At the end of the day, what any man thinks or says regarding Jesus, listen to this, what any man thinks or says about Jesus is irrelevant. Jesus is the great I am. And he needs no endorsement from anyone but the Father. His existence, his reality, his personage has nothing to do with who believes in him and who does not. Do you believe in Jesus? Well, no, I don't. Guess what? He still exists. He's still alive. He's still the Son of God, whether you believe in him or not. Isn't it interesting how people put such great heavy weight and importance upon their opinion Well, in my opinion, Jesus was fake, phony, never existed. Well, your opinion is worth this much. Okay? (laughs) And Notice what he says. I do not receive testimony from man. I don't care what men think, what men say. Because I'm God. (laughs) But I say these things, and listen... He's talking to the Pharisees here, a bunch of hard-hearted, hard-nosed, basically evil men. He, in other places in the Gospels, he calls them vipers, he calls them sons of the devil. And yet, what does he say here? I say these things that you may be saved. Jesus graciously goes out of his way to help us understand him and his message because he loves us. And even those evil men, he loved them even death of the cross. So in spite of the fact that Jesus is God, he's equal with God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God and three persons, he humbled himself, came into this world obedient to the point of death, submitting himself to evil men who crucified him. He, nobody t- he said, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down willingly. That's the heart of God. That's the heart of our Lord and Savior. So even as these men are interrogating him, you know, giving him the third degree, if you will, he says, I'm sharing these things. I'm not trying to prove anything to you guys. The only testimony I need is from my Heavenly Father. I'm just telling you these things so that you might be saved. Verse 35, he was the burning and shining lamp. He's speaking here of John the Baptist. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. And so John comes on the scene. They hadn't seen any prophets in over 500 years. John comes on the scene, you know, powerful, dynamic, preaching repentance from sin, baptizing people in the Jordan River, and he captured everybody's attention, even the Pharisees, the scribes, the Jewish leaders. And he was the first to testify about Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His message was, prepare you the way of the Lord. So he was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But how quickly people will turn from the truth when it becomes too uncomfortable for them. I've seen it time and time and time again. People will come and come, And they say they love it, it's great, right on bro, you're preaching the truth. All I have to do is say one thing they don't like, and they're gone. They're gone. Over and over again. You know what, if you turn away from everybody who says something you don't like, you're not going to have any friends. Sooner or later, everybody's going to say something you don't like. The point is, with John... They were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But at some point, they got uncomfortable with his message, particularly as it related to Jesus. And of course, eventually, he was arrested, incarcerated, and decapitated. That's where the truth will get you, in this life. But the good news is, in eternity, it gets you eternal life. So he's identifying John as a burning and shining lamp. But he says in verse 36, I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So I have a greater witness than John. John's witness was powerful. And as is the testimony of all who come to a saving knowledge of yeshua hamashiach jesus the messiah every believer has a powerful testimony anytime a life is changed transformed anytime someone is born again by the spirit of god that's a powerful thing but at the end of the day all human beings are fallible imperfect and only god's testimony. It's perfect. Jesus says, I have a greater witness than John's for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do. And so all the miracles that Jesus did during his earthly ministry were leading up to, it is finished. See what he says here? The works the Father has given me to finish, and on the cross he cried out, it is finished. He finished the work that God sent him to do. They bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And so the miraculous power of God manifests through Jesus, his son, bears witness that he truly has been sent by the Father to save the human race. Yes, the apostles would go on in Jesus' name to do miraculous things. But they were commissioned by Jesus anointed by Jesus. What they did, they did by his name. But the works that he did were the testimony and the witness that he was sent by the Father. Even Nicodemus, remember Nicodemus, Nick at night? Comes to Jesus at night. Even Nicodemus recognized this. There was a man, John 3, 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He was part of the Sanhedrin, the Council of Seventy. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And the final nail in the coffin of unbelief, if you will, was when Jesus rose from the dead and conquered sin and death. Hebrews 7.25 Therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost, I love that, Saved to the uttermost. As saved as you can possibly get. Jesus doesn't save anybody halfway or half-heartedly. Saved to the uttermost, those who come to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. We've talked about this before too. One of Jesus' roles or responsibilities in heaven seated at the right hand of the Father as he's waiting for the Father to give them the word to come and get us. One of his roles and responsibilities is to intercede on our behalf to pray for us, to petition for us before the Father. He always lives. A dead guy can't pray for you, can he? A dead guy can't intercede for you. And so the final nail in the coffin of unbelief is when Jesus rose from the dead and conquered sin and death. Verse 37, the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. The Father himself who sent me has testified of me. There are a number of ways that the Father has testified concerning his son. One, by the miracles which Jesus performed and of which he was speaking to these men about. His miraculous ministry was one of the ways that the Father testified to the people of Israel concerning his son. At the baptism of Jesus, you may recall, Matthew three seventeen, God speaks from heaven when Jesus comes up out of the water and the Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove. God, there's an audible voice heard. God speaking from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And then in the prophecy of the Old Testament, the father was testifying about his son thousands of years before Jesus even came into this world through the Old Testament prophets. So all of these ways, the Father himself who sent me has testified of me, he tells these Pharisees and scribes. And then he says, you have neither heard his voice at any time. But here's what's interesting. The word heard here means to listen and obey. Not just to hear, but to listen. The scribes and Pharisees were well-versed in the Scriptures. We know that. And they were very religious, but they had no relationship with the Father. That's why Jesus said, you've neither heard his voice at any time. Revelation 1, 3, as we began that study two and a half years ago, three years ago now, one of the first things that we saw in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, blessed is he who one reads, and those who, too, hear the words of the prophecy. And that's what it means. To hear means to listen and obey. And then thirdly, to keep those things hold on to them, put them into practice. Matthew seven twenty four. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. So the evidence that someone has really heard the voice of God, and again, What's the number one way we hear the voice of God, the most reliable way in which we hear the voice of God? It's from his word, his holy word, but it has to be quickened to our hearts and minds by the Holy Spirit. You've neither heard his voice at any time, you haven't listened to him, you haven't paid attention to him, you haven't really obeyed him, maybe in a legalistic manner, but not from the heart. And that's what set Jesus apart from these men. They were operating by the letter of the law. Jesus operated in the heart of the law because he is the law. Nor seen his form. Now we know that God appeared to various people in various ways. There is a the, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. You'll read sometimes about an angel from the Lord. But the angel of the Lord, whenever you see that in the Old Testament... That is what we call a theophany. That's an Old Testament appearance of God. uh, Or if it's a Christophany, an appearance of Jesus in his pre-incarnate form. God appeared appeared to various people in various ways. Remember, he spoke to Moses from a burning bush. Uh, There was the cloud by day and the fire by night that led the children of Israel in the wilderness. That was God appearing in another form, in a cloud, in a pillar of fire. The Shekinah glory, when they dedicated the temple, Solomon's temple, it tells us in Chronicles that the priests were overwhelmed and overcome by the Shekinah glory, the presence of God that filled the temple like a cloud or smoke. We just mentioned the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus in the form of a dove. We know that God appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai, Numbers 12, 8. God says, I speak with him, Moses, face to face, even plainly, and not in dark sayings, and he sees the form of the Lord. Again, not a full manifestation, because the Bible says that nobody has seen God at any time, and he dwells in unapproachable light, and if you were to see him in his full form, you would be incinerated. But he sees the form of the Lord, Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So he's those people who were attacking Moses coming against them. God is defending him, and Moses had a very special relationship with God. So when Jesus tells these men that you have not seen his form, that was technically true, but also just like heard his voice means to actually listen and obey You have neither heard his voice at any time. You have not listened to him, because if you were truly listening to him, you would have obeyed him. Well, here the second part of this verse where it says, and you have neither nor seen his form. It means that they had not paid attention to or regarded the appearance of God. He had manifested himself, but they disregarded it. And in particular, they had disregarded his manifestations in confirming Jesus as the Messiah. This is a whole lot of stuff he's laying on them here. And I doubt that they're getting hardly any of it. Verse 38, But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. Again, notice what he's saying. You do not have his word abiding in you. Now, again, they knew the scriptures, but God's word was not alive in their hearts and minds. There's many people like that today. John fifteen five, I'm the vine, you're the branches, says Jesus. He who abides in me, who lives in me, and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. That's the one side of my two-sided coin, spiritual coin that I carry in my pocket. One side is Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. On the other side of that coin is this verse. Without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, notice that, wow, that word comes up a lot, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. According to Noah Webster, 1828 Dictionary, abide means to rest or dwell, to live to continue permanently or in the same state, to be firm and immovable, to remain, to continue. And if you are truly abiding in Christ and his word is abiding in you, then there will be outward evidence. As Jesus said, by their fruits, you shall know them. The fruits of the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, were not good fruit. They were hard-hearted, cruel, legalistic, phony hypocrites. You do not have his word abiding in you because if you did, you would recognize me. Because whom he sent, him you do not believe. If God's word is alive and active in someone, the natural, logical result is that he or she will believe in Jesus as God's Son, the Messiah, The Savior of the world. What did David say? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. If we are truly abiding and the word of God is abiding in us, we will be enlightened, we will be illuminated, we will be able to see the truth, know the truth, understand the truth. And then he tells him, You search the scriptures. But here we go again. This word search means to search diligently. To search anxiously, it was applied to miners who search for precious metals, who look anxiously for the bed of the ore, with an intensity or anxiety proportionate to their sense of the value of the metal. And even today, if you go to Israel, which I've had the privilege to go numerous times, you'll see the, the the rabbis there with their scriptures, and they're just very intense, hardcore. He says, for in them you think you have eternal life. You think that by studying the Scriptures, you will obtain eternal life. You suppose that they teach the way to future blessedness and that by diligently studying them, you will attain it. And you might think on the surface, yeah, that's right, that's true, I agree with that, but here's the deal. It's not the Scriptures that save us, but the one who is embedded in the Scriptures, right? Right? without the power of God at work in them and through them. And believe me, I I know with all my heart that the Bible, God's holy word, is divinely inspired, God-breathed. But the purpose of those is to lead us to him. It's not the scriptures that save us, but the one who is embedded in the scriptures. Paul confirms this, 1 Corinthians 8, 1. We know that we have all knowledge. Knowledge makes one conceited or puffed up, as it says in one version. Knowledge makes one conceited or puffed up. Have you ever met someone who is actually very knowledgeable in the scriptures and the Bible, but they have this very conceited, puffed up attitude? Like you're an idiot, you don't know anything, I know it all. Paul says, but love edifies people. In fact, we fired a teacher earlier in the year that dressed me down. So I could call, I know a number of theology professors, I could call one right now and he could explain it to you. He tells me this. And he lost his job that day. Okay, <laughs> It's true. the he, Perfect description of this guy. You could be someone who eats, drinks, sleeps, lives... The scriptures, but if you don't have a true relationship with God, if you're not abiding, then it just makes you a bad person. How do you think so many people have been turned away from God in the church? Pharisaical, legalistic, conceited people, just like the Pharisees. I mean, they dug, they dug, they dug like a miner searching for gold ore but they didn't know God. Let me read this again. We know that we have all knowledge. Knowledge makes one conceited but love edifies people and the only way you can have agape love in your heart is you have to be connected, intimately connected to God who is love and he imparts that agape love to us. If anyone thinks he knows anything He is not yet known as he ought to know. And I've shared this with you before too and I've seen this in the writings of many great men and women of God. I've experienced it in my own life that the longer you live, and the longer you follow Christ, the more you realize you don't know anything. That's a true sign of maturity. Not that you think you know everything. You realize you don't know anything. That's maturity. Okay? And that's basically what Paul's saying. If anyone thinks he knows anything, he is not yet known as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, hello, I'm not saying we're to be biblically ignorant. Obviously, we're not. Study to so yourself approved, a workman who needeth not, to be ashamed, needeth not to be ashamed. We are to study the Scriptures. But the purpose of studying the Scriptures is to know him better and to be more like him and to be filled with his love. If anyone loves God, he is known by God, okay? We don't study the scriptures for knowledge's sake, but for the sake of knowing him. And Jesus said, these are they which testify of me. If they had truly searched the scriptures with a heart to know God, they would have recognized his son when he came. And there are people in this world today who know the scriptures better than you or I ever will but they have not opened themselves up to the transforming power of the Spirit of God. Therefore, their knowledge has no impact on them whatsoever. It only takes a Bible verse or two to be saved, folks. John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. It only takes a couple Bible verses, quickened to your heart and mind by the Holy Spirit to be transformed and converted in a moment, in an instant. Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him, sup with him, fellowship with him, and he with me. You don't have to be a Bible scholar or a theologian to be saved. In fact, sometimes that gets in the way. And there's a reason why a lot of guys that I know call seminary, cemetery. Because the seminaries turn out more dead people than live ones. It's true. It's absolutely true. We're doing really well here. We're going to finish, I think, on time. Okay. The, these are they which testify of me. The scriptures, the word of God, the ones that you have never really taken hold of you've read but you've not heard verse 40 but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life searching the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life but you're not willing to come to me that you may have life notice what he says you are not willing to come to me folks I've heard so many people over the years say, well, I I just can't. You ever heard that? I can't. I'd like to be saved. I'd like to know, I just can't. You know what? That's just not true. It's not a matter of can or can't. It's a matter of will or won't. So when somebody tells you that, challenge them. Say, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not a matter of can or can't. It's a matter of will you or won't you. When presented with the truth, Will you or won't you? You're not willing to come. In order to be saved, born again, it is absolutely necessary, and here's the deal. That's why people say, I can't, when it's really, I won't. It's absolutely necessary to submit your will to the will of the Father and to his Son, Jesus Christ. You have to humble yourself and admit that he's God and you're not. And that he's perfect and you're not. Luke 9, 23, then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, this is Jesus speaking, of course. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. So when somebody says, I can't, what they're really telling you is, I don't want to deny myself. I don't want to humble myself. I don't want to give the reins and the control of my life over to God. I want them. Fine, then crash your ship into the rocks, because that's exactly what's going to happen. You want to be the master of your own ship, master and commander? Then fine, you're going to wind up on the rocks. Galatians 2.20, let him deny, well, I, did I finish that verse? Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. You know you're going to fight your flesh the rest of your life? That's what the book of Romans is about. We studied that a few years ago. You're going to have to keep beating that old man down, just like the, the zombies who won't die. You know, you 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 you. You shoot them, you stab them, you bury them in the ground. The next thing you know, that hand's coming back up out of the earth. You know. You're going to fight that the rest of your life. You've got to have the power of the Holy Spirit, the truth of God's Word. You've got to take up your cross daily because the devil never takes a day off. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, writes Paul. Obviously not literally yet. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Even the great apostle Paul said this, folks. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. Elsewhere, he says, I beat my body into submission. What's all this telling us? Being a follower of Christ is not the easy way, it's the right way. It's not the easy way, God never said it would be. But are you willing to pay the price to be a child of God, to live forever in his glorious kingdom? It's well worth it you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Again, the only way to possess eternal life, which everybody deep down inside wants, nobody wants to die. The only way to possess eternal life is to come to Jesus. And he says, you're not willing to come to me. John 1, 12, as many as received him To them, he gave the the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Anybody who thinks that you're born into this world a child of God, that's totally inaccurate. Now, you're created in his image. God so loved the world, but you're born into this world in sin. You are not a child of God until you receive Jesus and he imparts to you the right. You're not born. Boy, this is a tough message in this day of entitlement where everybody thinks they're entitled to everything, whether you've done anything or not. It's this crazy dichotomy. On the one hand, people think you have to earn your way into heaven by being a good good person. And on the other side, especially with the younger generation, you know, I'm here, so give me everything. And if God's real, then I deserve to be saved. No, you don't. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all born in sin. There's none righteous. No, not one. And if you want to be given the right, we have a bill of rights in this country, don't we? They're now being systematically torn away from us. But God's bill of rights is never torn away. It's eternal. But the right comes from him. It doesn't come from you. You're not born with a right to be a child of God. The most religious people of Jesus' day He told them, you're sons of the devil. The only way you can become a child of God is by receiving Jesus. That means you receive him for everything that he is, everything that he says he is, everything that he has done that he's doing and he will do. If you receive him, he gives you the right to become a child of God to those who believe in his name, Yeshua HaMashiach, God with us, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. You are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I trust that everyone here today has done that already. If you've not, this would be a great time to do it. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You don't know what's going to happen five minutes from now. Next, next week, next month, next year. Today's the day of salvation. This is the time to come to Jesus. Acts 4.12, Peter tells us there is Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's our message. That's the truth. Let's stand. As we go to the Lord in prayer, we're going to kind of lower the lights a little bit here, and I'm going to encourage people to bow their heads for a moment. Close your eyes. If you have a prayer request, raise your hand, please. Okay, there's quite a few. First of all, before we take those requests to the Lord, I'm going to encourage anyone here today that has not been born again by the Spirit of God. And if you're, you know who you are, if there's any doubt in your mind, if you're here right now thinking, wow, I'm not sure I'm really saved, then Jesus wants to give you that assurance that you know, that you know, that you know, that you've been born again, you're a child of God, and it's so simple, we've talked about it this morning. You simply confess to God that you're a sinner, ask him to forgive you, to wash you with the precious blood of Christ, and to come and live inside of you and fill you with his Holy Spirit. It's that simple. I'm going to pray that prayer right now. If you'd like to pray with me, feel free to do so. Father God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, into this world, to die on the cross for me. Father, I confess to you right now, I am a sinner, I know that. I ask you to forgive me of my sins in the name of Jesus, to wash me with his blood. Renew a right spirit within me. Father, please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Give me the strength to live for you, to follow after you, as Jesus said, to take up my cross and follow you. I thank you for the precious gift of salvation. In Jesus' name, If you prayed that prayer right now and you meant it, then you have become a child of God. And I encourage you to talk to someone. If you came today with somebody, if you have a friend here, family member, one of the pastors, let us know that you made that decision today. Father, I lift up those this morning uh, who are having some economic struggles. That could be a lot of people because our economy is not doing well. Everything's kind of gone crazy with the pandemic and so many other issues that are happening. But Lord, we first want to thank you for providing for us. We acknowledge that you are our provider. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Help us to never forget that. And Lord, no matter how little we have or how much we have, to be thankful and appreciative of what you've given us. But Lord, we want to lift up uh, those that are struggling to make ends meet, to pay the bills. Lord, we pray for wisdom and guidance on how to best manage our resources. Lord, where a better job is needed, that you go before that person, help them, give them guidance and direction, where to go, where to look. And we pray that you would provide uh, employment that would be sufficient to meet their needs and the needs of any family members they have. Lord, for those who um, are looking for, perhaps expecting a promotion, or that you give them favor. Uh, with their employer, with the place where they work, Lord. And for those who are being persecuted or harassed at work for their faith, please put a shield of protection around them. Protect them, guard them, and give them boldness and faith to stand firm in the face of persecution. Lord, we just thank you that you do take care of us, you do provide for us, and I pray that anybody here is Worried, fearful, anxious, just deliver them from those thoughts and feelings. Give them perfect peace, we pray in Jesus' name. I pray also for people who are struggling with marriages and friendships that we know the enemy tries to divide and conquer, to divide us, to separate us, uh, to tear us apart. We pray for healing and marriages and friendships and work relationships, wherever there's a, a wedge has been driven between two or more people that you could bring healing and restoration, Lord, and expose the enemy, Father, so many times, We think the other person's the problem but it's really spiritual warfare and the enemy's the one who's tearing us apart. Help us to recognize that, to stand against it, to put on the full armor of God, to stand firm against the attack of the enemy, Father. Pray, Lord, for those with emotional, mental issues like anxiety, depression, fear, worry, doubt, unbelief, jealousy, bitterness. Lord, some of these things are external and some of them are internal. We ask you to forgive us for harboring any wrong attitudes that we may have. Help us to correct our attitude, help us to have the mind of Christ. But Lord, where these uh, these issues come from an outside source, we ask you to guard our hearts and minds against those things, against anxiety, against depression. Lord, deliver your people. That's not what you intended for us. You promised if we bring everything to you in prayer that you would guard our hearts and minds with your Peace that passes all understanding. We pray that you would do that even now. For anyone here, Lord, who's struggling with these things, we pray for deliverance, for release right now, Lord, in Jesus' name, that that depression and anxiety would be gone in the name of Jesus. Finally, we pray for physical health. Lord, that can really hinder us in our ability to provide for ourselves, our families, and also to serve you. We pray for healing from uh, damaged uh, tendons, ligaments, broken bones, Lord, muscles, torn muscles, Father, all kinds of health issues, diabetes, cancer, Lord, whatever it might be, you are the healer of our bodies. We give you glory, we give you praise, and we pray that you would bring healing to those who are struggling. Deliver them, Father, and if it is not your will or your plan to heal them at this time, give them the strength, the endurance, the patience that they need to hang in there, And Lord, to be like Job, who said, even if you slay me, Lord, I will praise you. Help that to be our heart attitude as well. We thank you for your word, the power of it, the truth of it. Help us to walk in it. And now we ask you to receive our final offering of praise in Jesus' name. Amen.